to do a series called Life in the Spirit. I need a woohoo. Life in the Yes, that is what I'm talking about. Yes. I pray all the time. I ask the Lord. I always have these ideas of where I want to go. You know, I want to go certain places, but it doesn't matter where I want to go. I feel like it's where the Lord wants to go. So I, I always interact with the Lord, and I'm asking him, like, this is your church. He's your people. What do you want? And I feel like the Lord guides me back to these places. And so I felt like the Lord was dealing with me to do a series on life in the spirit. I'm, I'm thinking, well, we should do this. And the Lord's like, no, like I can do that. But I feel like the Lord telling me, well, you can do that, but that's not really what I want. And so I'm like, okay, everybody knows it's all about giving Jesus what he wants, right? Okay. And if you do give Jesus what he wants, he pays for it and gives you a tip. That's basically how that works as well. So we're going to do a series on life in the spirit. And the next couple of weeks are going to be a little bit more in depth. But today's more of a primer and a basic and foundational. Yeah, oh, back up. Sorry. Oh, we're going to sing some more? When the Spirit. <laughs> so today's going to be basic, foundational, and, and it's going to be a primer for everything else because it's important to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And so some of you are going to be like, oh, I've heard this before. Or, oh, I know this. And here's my words to you as far as what you know as a Christian. You don't know it until you can teach it. So if you can't teach it, you don't know it. If you, there's a difference between having heard it, oh, I've heard that before, or as opposed to, oh, I know that. Well, if you cannot relate it to someone else and instruct someone else in it, then you don't know it, and you probably need to hear it again. So some of this stuff's going to be new for some of you. Some of it's going to be entirely foundational or stuff that you maybe have heard before or maybe you've learned this before. But it's important that we understand this. So we are created and designed to function as a church and as a, as a people with vitality, that's life, through the Holy Spirit. He's called, the Bible tells us it's the life of the Spirit, right? So we have life in the Spirit. God has designed this whole thing, the church, this whole plan of God that he started in Genesis. Man dropped, fell off the cliff and now he reestablishes his purposes within the world through us, through the church, this isn't our idea. Man didn't come up with this idea. Church itself isn't man's idea. It's a great mystery. People don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't even understand why it is. But it's how God has designed us to function and to work as a people. And we're designed to function and work as a people, not in and of ourselves. And it's, I, I say this often because it's important to reinforce it to the Christian, is that everything Jesus tells you to do is impossible. So as soon as you hear that, you may as well just take a deep breath and you may as well have yourself a Cinnabon or a bagel and just relax a little bit. What we teach is like we have to do the things that God tells us to do. Yes, we do. However, it is impossible from a human standpoint to do the things that God tells you to do. It's impossible. That's why he gives you the Holy Spirit. If it were possible, the Spirit would not be given. The word grace literally means empowerment. That's what it means. We think it's, oh, it's just like God's unmerited favor. No, it's God's empowerment. That's what the word grace means. It is an empowerment. So when we receive grace, we receive power to do something. And so the grace of the Lord is what enables us to do the things that God tells us to do. You say, I can do a lot of them. Really? Let's just look at the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to tell you right now, we're all going to fail. We're going to fail by probably the third or fourth one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You cannot. In the Spirit, do you see how richly you love the Lord? You ever know when you're in the Spirit, you love God, you get in the Holy Spirit, and my goodness, you love God so much. I mean, you feel like you want to just, 
you know, translate your being into heaven. Because the love that God commands us to have towards him is impossible without the spirit that he gives to us. Love the Lord your God, your all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no idols before him. Do you know how many things you worship and how many things you idolize without the spirit of God? Just think about it. When you're not in the spirit, how many other things are you wanting? How many other things? But when you're in the spirit, what do you want? You only want Jesus. You only want the things of his heart and you only want the things of his nature. But outside of the spirit, you're not like that, are you? Let's just be honest. We're Christians. We're people of truth, right? Can we be truthful about ourselves at least and understand it? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. In other words, don't carry my name with hypocrisy. That's what it means. The Bible tells us not to profane his name. And we think it's running around using God's name in some idle fashion. While that may be one aspect of not taking the Lord's name in vain, what it means is don't bear my name with vanity. Don't pretend to be somebody that you are not. Ooh. Is that what it means? Yep. Don't go walking around, skip to the Luda day, practicing like you're some old self-righteous Christian, you know, holier than thou. So he says, don't bear my name in vain. The only way we cannot bear his name in vain is by the power of the Spirit. When you're in the Spirit, you bear his name righteously, don't you? You love, you give, you serve. You're just like, woo! You know, it's easy. So what my point to you is, is that everything that God commands towards us is impossible to do without him. Cannot be done. Cannot. Wishful thinking if you think you can forgive people without the Holy Spirit. You are dreaming. Jesus said, apart from me, oh, I can forgive people. No, you cannot. No, you can't. Some, I can mention some names or some places or some dates, and immediately your emotions are going to fire towards that. Immediately you're going to, don't you mention that person's name around me. Wait a minute, I thought you were forgiven. Well, I have forgiven, really? Then get in the Spirit. Now watch this. Now we get in the Holy Spirit, and we mention that name, and we're like, oh, I just love that person. I just, you know. But you, you, do you see where I'm getting at? We cannot live after our design. We cannot live after our intention. We cannot live after our purposes. And we cannot fulfill the things of God without his spirit. It is impossible. Galatians chapter 1. Who has bewitched you, O foolish Galatians? Who has deceived you? Who has indoctrinated you in such a way that you think, having begun in the spirit, you can now fulfill it in the flesh? Is that a poem? No. He was indicating that God has begun you in the spirit. God has empowered you in the spirit. God has designed the church to function in the spirit. And yet somehow, somebody, somewhere along the line, has tricked you into thinking that it's all human effort. That you can just do it. You can't. You can't. Yeah, that's, that's the commonality of most American churches. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I can definitely speak for my country. We deny the Holy Spirit. He's relegated to a corner. Oh, you just stand over there. If we need you, we'll call on you. Ding, ding. I need him every minute of every hour of every day. I don't like me sometimes without the Spirit of God. But in the Spirit of God, I love me. I think I'm amazing. I'm like, wow, this is great. Out of the Spirit, I'm like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Why are you doing that? Why are you saying that? Anybody with me? <laughs> Come on. Come on. It's true. We cannot function, operate, be, or become without the Holy Spirit. And we, this is what's got to be understood as a believer, because not only will it liberate you, it will redirect you. 
If you think you can do it, you're going to be firing on all cylinders wrongly for a very long time. And you're going to try to walk out of faith that, you, that is not designed for you to walk out by yourself. You won't be able to do it. You just won't. So you should be free. You should be like, well, I couldn't do it anyway. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, okay, I'm good there. So what does it mean? It doesn't mean that I neglect the things of God. It means in order to fulfill the things of God, I must get into the Spirit to fulfill the things of God. So therefore, I must understand the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I must not only understand the Holy Spirit, I must begin to commune with Him. I must begin to learn to communicate with Him. I must be learn to hear Him, receive Him, walk in and after Him. It's essential. It is absolutely essential. And I'm not talking about some religious you know, tip of the hat to the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about life in the Spirit. This is what I'm talking about. It will change everything. It will change everything. You believe me? Okay, two of you. That's awesome. I'm going to high-five the two of you. Guys. No, I'm just joking. So the Holy Spirit, what do we need to know? We need to understand how God is designed and who He is. God is triune. He's three persons, right? So Holy Spirit is God. He's not an expression of God. He's not a force of God. He is one of the personhoods of God. God is three in one, okay? He's triune. He is Father, separate, Son, separate, and Spirit, separate, yet one. God in concert with Himself. God in mutual submission to Himself. Three, yet one. Who's in charge? They're all self-serving each other. It's an amazing thing when you see it. The Father serves the Son. The Son serves the Father. The Spirit serves the Son. The Son serves the Spirit. The Father serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Father. It's a constant mutual submission among the Godhead. They're always, it's, a, it's almost like a competition for servitude if you really study how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are designed. That's why servitude is such an essence of the Christianity because it is the very nature of our God. It's the very nature of who He is. It's mutual submission and mutual servitude. It's complementary. They're complementary in their roles. God is triune, which means trinity. God in not, it's not God in three aspects. You know, God's in three aspects. It's not God in three forms. It's God in three persons. So here's the idea. This, everybody say it with me. This is not a New Testament concept. In other words, Christians didn't wake up one morning and say, hey, I got an idea. This is a good idea. This is what I need to do. Say this with me. It is an Old Testament concept with a New Testament revelation. So it's rooted in deep, it's deeply ingrained in the Old Testament. But it is revealed in greater dynamic and in greater fulfillment through the New Testament. Because the Spirit has come. The illuminator has come. The one who teaches us all things and leads us into truth has come. Therefore, we have greater insight. That's the point. Next slide. It's stuck. Is this sticking? Oh. <laughs> Hank's looking at me. I like that shirt, Hank. Yeah. <laughs> Festive. Genesis 1:1 In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. From the very first chapter, or very first chapter, very first verse of the Bible, the word for God is a Hebrew word called say it with me. Elohim. Elohim. There you go. You guys know a Hebrew word this morning. Elohim. 
means God. It, means, it doesn't mean just God. It means compound. It is what is called a compound unity. So it means like we, us, they, them. It's all, it's a compound word. It's not singular. So what the I am, so this is very common. I teach this here a lot because it's a foundational understanding to the believer. This has to be understood. The, 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 the two letters at the end of the Hebrew word I am are plural. That's what makes the word plural. So in the Hebrew, the word cherub, which is the word for angel, is singular. The word cherubim, which is the, is, means plural. So when the Bible uses the Hebrew word cherub, it means singular angel. When it uses the word cherubim, it means multiple angels. So I am is a connotation in Hebrew that means plural. So God is plural. Elohim. Three at one. We see it in Deuteronomy 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 4. Okay? Anybody know what that is? It's called the Shema. It is something the Jewish people were taught to say, not one time a day, not two times a day, three times a day. Why not four times? Why not five? Because God is triune. So they had to say this Shema, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim is Ehad. That's the idea. Hear this Israel, the Lord your God is one. What does that mean? What's so special about it? Why did God, why was this verse so special that God said, say it three times? It's special because there's nothing like this. Listen to something very important that I'm telling you. This is what the Lord says. Shema. In other words, it literally means grab your ear and lean in. Shema. Listen. Shut everything out and pay attention to this. What is so important? Adonai, Lord, benefactor, sovereign, king, the Lord, who is Elohim, plural, is one. Well, that's all of a sudden, now that's special. We have a plural God who is one. Yep. It's exactly what the Bible is saying. And so Jews go, well, you Christians only worship three gods. We worship one. I always tell them, do you know your Bible? Do you speak Hebrew? Every Jewish person speaks Hebrew a little bit. They certainly know the Shema and they can recite it in Hebrew. But so this, this, this concept right here of Deuteronomy 6.4 is so controversial that somewhere along the line, the Jewish people have changed, the rabbi somebody has changed the word of Elohim to a abridged word called Ilienu. But in the original Hebrew, from the texts of Moses, from the ancient text, it doesn't say Ilienu. It says Elohim. Why did they change it? Because they can't deal with the concept that God is plural. It's just, it just, because that means if God is plural, that means he's Father, Son, and Spirit, as the Christians say, that means we've got to deal with the Son, and we just can't handle that. Because if the Son is who he says he is, and the Son is God, that means I'm not saved, and that means I must conform into the image of the Son, so we've got a problem here. That actually means I've got to lay my life down and surrender? Yep, well, I can't do it. This is what men do. We create doctrines or dogmas of men to nullify the word of God, and the word of God has no effect. And we actually think that our belief changes truth. Belief does not change truth. Belief activates truth, but doesn't change. Just because you say there is no son does not mean there is no son. Just because you say there is no salvation in Christ does not mean there is no salvation in Christ. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters only what he says. God is not relative to our understanding. He's not relative. He's not the God as you want him to be. 
He's the God who is, who was, who is, and is to come. He changes not. And so we have this idea that God is a triune God. He's a three-in-one. And it is bone-rattling to the Jew. I've had this conversation even with rabbis, and they're like, it doesn't say Elohim, it says Ilyenu, which is kind of this gray conceptual understanding of God. I said, yeah, well, how about even if, I don't even argue that. And I go, okay, go to Genesis 1. What's it say? They can't get rid of that one. Because Genesis 1 says Elohim. They haven't changed that one. I said, is that plural? Well, I've never had an answer to that. I've never gotten an answer to that. And I've probably talked to five or six different people, rabbinical people, even to this day, and I've never gotten an answer as to whether Elohim is plural or not. They, 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 won't, even, they won't even explain it. They won't even, they won't even discuss it because it doesn't match their theology. This is, a, this is the foolishness of people. We conform unto him. God does not conform unto us. This is huge. It's not what you say. It's what he says. It's not what a denomination says. It's what he says. It's not what so-and-so says. It's what he says. And what we find rooted in the Bible is that when we go back to the original language and we go to the roots of the word, we are able to extract meaning. We extract meaning and depth from the text by understanding the, the original language and understanding what the word is rooted in. When you understand the original text, what does that mean? And sometimes that's not clear enough, so you've got to go into the roots of the word. When you go into the roots of the word, you're able to pull out the meaning. English Bible is just a translation of the original text. Doesn't mean it's wrong, but we tend, some things are translated very generically. Love is one of those. Greek, there's four words for love. Did you know that? Four words. But we got one love. Love cookies, you know, love my friends, love my dog, love my wife, love God. All those loves are not equal. You would agree with that, right? In the Greek, it differentiates the types of love. But yet our translation, because of our language, it doesn't mean that love is wrong. But what it means is the Greek is more expounding on what that word love actually means. That's what it means. So they, they change the word. So we have this in the, in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see a triune God as well. We have Jesus being baptized, don't we? Right? Everybody know the story? Right? He goes down into the water. John says, I'm not worthy to be baptized or baptize you. You better baptize me. Jesus says, permit it to be so for all righteousness. Matthew. Jesus goes down in the water. He's baptized. What happens? Tell me. Heaven's open. Okay. That's next week. Heaven's open. And what happens? The Father speaks. And what happens? Something happens to Jesus. What comes on him? Right. So in that verse, we see Father, Son, and Spirit. Do we not? We see the Son going into the water. We see the Father bring, speaking the affirmation. We see the Spirit descending. Not three forms of God. God in three persons. The, full, the complete unity of the Trinity in that moment. We have Jesus on the cross. Jesus is on the cross. Anybody know what he says? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why did you forsaken me? The word Eloi he uses there, Aramaic Hebrew, is not plural. <laughs> Jesus is on the cross. He's part of the Godhead, yet when he's calling out to God, he doesn't call him Elohim. He calls him singular. Why? Because he's the Trinity. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Trinity. And so he's calling out to God, the Father, and God, the Son, in my God, my God. He says it twice. Not three times, two times. Why? My God, Father, my God, Spirit. Why have you forsaken me? Because he's the other third part. He's the Elohim. You get that? That's a hidden mystery. You don't understand that. I'm like, why did he say it twice? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure it's further. Why did he use singular? Well, I'm not sure. I don't understand that. That's why. Because he is God. 
So we see the Trinity in the Old Testament. We see the Trinity in the New Testament. Important to understand. Very important to understand. Because if we don't understand this, then we don't understand particularly the work of the Spirit. We have to understand the Holy Spirit is a person in and of himself. The Son is a person in and of himself. It's related more in the understanding of being. We look at each other and we think, we think of people in terms of flesh. God looks at you in terms of being, the being that you are. That's why he relates to your spirit, because your spirit is your identity. We all have a body differently, okay? We all have emotions, intellect, wills, that's the soul. But what makes you you is your spirit. That's the uniqueness of you. That's why God relates to you in relationship to you as a being, right? And that's how the Holy Spirit is designed. That God the Father, God the Son, they're beings. That's persons. So they're not persons in physical form necessarily, but what we understand them to be is in the forms of beings. So the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. How do you know that? Because the Bible tells us so. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12. He has a mind, Romans 8, 27. He has a speed, the spirit of life, which means he gives life, and in order to give something, he must he himself possess it. So he possesses life. He works, Genesis 1, 2. God's spirit was upon the waters. Zechariah 4, 16, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Holy Spirit. He teaches, John 16, 13. He comforts, John 14, 26. He prays on our behalf. He intercedes, he advocates for us. Parakletos, he stands with us, for us. Romans 8, 26, he approves sin, righteousness, and judgment. Holy Spirit's governing authority upon the earth. Don't you have to know that. The spiritual government of heaven rests and abides with the Holy Spirit. He is the one determining. He is the one. He alone, because he is the advocate of the Father, he is, he is triune with the Father, is because he is able to say what is right and wrong. And so he convicts of what is right and wrong. You see? So he determines. He's making the, the determinations on behalf of the Godhead in this world. He is the ruling government of heaven sent to this world. And we partner with him. Watch this. Okay, I'm going to blow your mind. You're like, oh, I'm not too sure about that. Well, you just, I'm going to give you something to marinate, think about, wrestle with, disagree with. I don't care what you do with it, but I'm giving it to you. It's truth. He is the ruling government of heaven, and we are the ruling government of earth. So the partnership is the ruling government of earth partners with the ruling government of heaven and activates and releases the kingdom upon the earth. That's the design. That's how God designed this whole thing to work. Ruling government of earth was given to man. The heavens, even the highest heavens, belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to the men. We are designed to be the ruling government on the earth in partnership with the ruling government of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. What do you think that means? It means exactly what I just told you. It is the ruling government of heaven in concert and partnership with the ruling government of earth, and it releases on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, come on, that's good. <laughs> like, I don't know, I don't get that, Kevin. Everybody go like this, reach up high. Go, I'm going to get that. Just grab it. Just grab it. Just grab it. It's not too high for you. You can grab it. You can understand it. Next slide. He's a gift. Oh, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. He is a gift. You like gifts? Anybody here like gifts? Come on. Greatest gift. It's the Spirit of God. It's the greatest gift of Jesus. Yep, great. Jesus is an amazing, awesome, supreme gift. But Jesus said, I've got one better for you. You guys love me. You guys honor me. That's amazing. Because he truly is a gift. But I'm going to give you a gift that surpasses even me being with you right now. 
And he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. I got something better for you. Say, Jesus has got something better for me. Come on. That's right. And his name is Holy Spirit. It's to your advantage that I go, for if I do not go, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him. If I leave you, because they're all begging Jesus, oh, go, Lord. You're the fish and chips guy, you know. You're the healer. We need money. You just, it comes out of fish's mouths, you know. It's like we're hungry. It's like bread and chips and fish. fish. It's like you're amazing. Nothing happens. Please don't go. And he says, I'm going to do you one better. Holy Spirit has received its salvation. This is, where, this is where theology sort of goes off in opposite directions. He, do, he has received by all, he's received it all by all by salvation. That is commonly understood and accepted. That's what's called orthodoxy. To say that the Spirit of God has not received its salvation would be an unorthodox teaching. Not heretical necessarily. Heretical would be that you're not saved. That's a whole other deal. But orthodox means common acceptance is that the Spirit of God comes into you at salvation. However, he is released and activated through spiritual baptism, which is an entirely different dimension. And the argument always is, is are you saying there's two different experiences? And I would say, and, I, and I, I see what they're saying because the argument on that is, and I'm not the one making the argument, this is the theologians making these arguments with each other, is they say that there's, there's only, when we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, there needs to be nothing more that needs to happen to us. Well, the Bible does not teach that. It doesn't. And so, but the argument on this side says, well, that means to say that we're not in complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ. You were made complete and forgiven and acceptable before the Father through salvation. And the Holy Spirit is in you, sealing you, and has cleansed you. However, there is another level of empowerment. So while I would say, am I talking about two distinctions, I would say it's a next level experience of the gift of the Spirit. That's what I would say. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do everybody have it? Not everybody. Can everybody have it? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Say, but I have the Spirit. Yes, you have the Spirit. But there is a level of empowerment that's available to you that comes through this concept or this, this level that I'm talking about called baptism. Jesus said this, just as a side note on blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, because this always makes people go, oh, what is about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Jesus says this, all manner of blasphemy will be forgiven, men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. Mm, so good. Jesus said, you can say anything you want about the Father, you can say anything you want about the Son, but you be careful about saying things about the Spirit of God. Okay? That's how preeminent He is to the Son. He says, whoever speaks a word against the Son, it will be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him in this world nor in the world to come. Now this begs the question, what in the world does that mean? What is He talking about? And Jesus would have probably explained it had when He said that, somebody asked Him the question. You know, we get a lot of explanations from Jesus when somebody actually asks Him the question. But when he says things and everybody just kind of nods and goes, yes, we understand that. Oh, absolutely. Mm, perfectly. Mm. Eat your flesh and drink your blood. Yeah, we get it. No problem. Mm -hmm. We understand that. Had someone asked him, he would have explained it. Because we see him explaining. Every time Peter asked him, he explained it. What did you mean by that? It's, that's why you have to ask the Lord, what, what are you meaning here? What are you saying here? I don't quite understand this. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the idea that all faith comes from heaven. All grace comes from heaven. We are vessels and recipients of what the Lord provides. And so the message of salvation, the gospel, the message that man is sinful, fallen, and separated from God and can be brought back home to God only through the Son, that's called the gospel message. 
That mess, there's more to it. There's kingdom gospel on top of that. But the gospel of salvation is simply that. The Holy Spirit empowers that. So when that message is brought forth to people who are hearing, there is a grace upon that message. And that grace is the Holy Spirit. And so while you're giving that message to somebody, illumination happens within the heart. That's how, my, that's how you all got saved. Somehow somebody told you something, and all of a sudden something went poof in your heart, and you're like, I don't understand this, but somehow, curiously, I want to believe this. You see? That's the grace that God puts upon it. And the Lord says, don't profane that. And what does it mean to profane it? It means you're doing it in this life, but if you carry it over and you continually profane the work of the Holy Spirit, there will be no forgiveness for you. That's what man means when they're lost and when they're saved, is where they deny the work of salvation upon the heart. So just by speaking the message of the gospel, grace is imparted. And we profane it. That's the, what the word means. Push it away. Say it's something else. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, I couldn't believe that. Oh, who is this guy? Oh, he's manipulating you. Oh, that's not you. That's the pizza you ate. We wouldn't say it's the devil. But we, we, you know, we say all of these different things. And what we're actually doing is profaning a work of grace that's upon the heart. That's what we're doing. See, Hebrews goes on to explain it. Anyone who rejects Moses' law without mercy dies upon the testimony of two or three. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be, will be thought worthy of the one who tramples the Son of God underfoot, counts the blood of the covenant as a common thing, and what? Insults. It's the same word. Profanes the spirit of grace. So what is he saying here? He's, he's actually interpreting what Jesus said in Matthew. To insult the spirit of grace. You insult him because he's offering something that you don't deserve. God is lowering himself, not just to your level. He's lowering himself beneath your level and offering you something that you don't, don't deserve. And you kick dirt on it and you insult him. And Jesus said that act, if it's not rectified, will not be forgiven. That's what he's saying. You say, so can I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? No, if you're born again, you're not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Can a Christian blaspheme the Holy Spirit? In biblical context, no. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Christians can grieve him, and Christians can quench him. But Christians cannot profane him because you've already accepted his invitation. Does this make sense to you? It's like sometimes you get Christians freaked out. I think I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I do. I, I think I blaspheme. I'm like, yeah, what do you think he did? Well, he didn't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You may have grieved him. You might have quenched him over there, but you didn't profane him. Profane is to reject the work of grace upon the heart and to deny it. And literally what Jesus is saying is you're not calling it a work of God, you're calling it a work of devil. And there's a whole teaching off of that. Man, how the church has slipped on that. Healing's not of God, healing's of the devil. Who said that? So Jesus is the one, this is our modern church, Jesus is the one around, running around making everybody sick, and the devil's the one healing you. What? Are we taking crazy pills? You know, that's literally what people say. Oh, you got healed, oh, that's of the devil. Oh, you can't say that, that's of the devil. You speak in tongues. Oh, don't speak in tongues. That's of the devil. What? I mean, but yet that's exactly what we're doing. It's exactly the way to the degrees that we go. No, I wouldn't give a prophetic word. That's of the devil. You don't want to prophesy. That's somebody say that to me. I'm like, prophesy? I'm like, what spirit are you of, dude? I'm not of that spirit. I'm of the Holy Spirit. I've never heard of such a thing called a prophesy. Well, we don't want to prophesy, Kevin. Because we don't want to prophesy. It's of the devil. Yeah, so let's quench the spirit, let's just throw a wet towel over him, and let's all pretend that we're spiritual when we're not. Huh. Confessors of God, but deniers of the power. That's the mark of the last days. They're not denying salvation. Read your Bible, Christian. 
The mark of a latter-day or a last-day church is not denying that Jesus saves. It's denying the power. As my friend would say to me, Kevin, the devil is not anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. Christ is anointing. So the devil's not working against Jesus. He's working against the anointing. He's working against the power because the power spells his doom. The power is what enables the church to take cities. The power is what enables the church to take villages, nations, countries, households, families. So what do you think he's working against? He's not anti-Jesus. You don't hear anybody even on the news. They don't say anything bad about Jesus, do they? Oh, no. Because the devil's not anti-Jesus. He's anti-Christ. He's against the anointing. Oh, you need to record that, write that down. That's good. He's against the power, deniers of power. When we deny power, we are not of his spirit. We are of the spirit of the age. Every church, every pastor, I would say it through a room full of pastors, and I would say the exact same thing to them as I'm saying to you. If pastors are teaching the denial of power, they are not of the spirit of Christ. I didn't say they weren't born again. I didn't say they weren't doing good works. But they're partnering with the spirit of the age. They're in partnership and in league with a spirit that denies the power of God. Plain and simple. And I would hand them a Bible and say, prove me wrong. And they couldn't. Because the words that I speak are truth. This is truth. Next slide. <laughs> Wow, I didn't know where this message was going to go today, but this is going good. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit works in three arenas for three purposes. Say this with me. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. works in three arenas for three specific purposes. Number one, he's parakletos. What does that mean? He's with you. Say, he's with me. Mmm, he's with you. Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You see how valuable the Holy Spirit is? This is how valuable the Holy Spirit is. You have something nobody else can have. Special only to the believer. Diamonds and jewels and rubies and treasures of an eternal world given only to those who claim Christ. Ah! Open the chest, man. We should just figure this out somehow. But you know him, for he dwells, everybody say, with you, and will be in you. So Jesus is talking to his 12, and he's saying, you know the Holy Spirit because he's been ministering with you. You've experienced him, parakletos, and he will be in you. So Jesus gives us two aspects right here. So what is happening is the Holy Spirit is with the believer. What is he doing? So he's working in three worlds. He's working outside, inside, and upon. That's how the Holy Spirit works. So he's working outside the believer to do what? Working all things out to your good. This is what the Holy Spirit's doing. Holy Spirit's arranging circumstances, situations, creating and opening up doors of divine assignment. He is working around the believer so that even when things happen to the believer, that's why Romans can confidently say all things work out to our good. Why? Because we have the parakletos. So even when things come at us, the parakletos, the one who is with us, reorients them and turns them around for your good. What the devil, say this with me, what the devil, devil tries to put me under with, the Holy Spirit is going to use it to put me over. That's truth. 
He is working it out. And this is the only way that the Holy Spirit is working with a non-believer. With the unbeliever, what is the Holy Spirit doing? He is in the world convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of the error of their ways, of what is right before the Father, and what are the consequences for them to deny it. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's a gift to the world. The Holy Spirit is not convicting. He's convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Not the church. We've got to get it right. Holy Spirit's convicting me. Well, he may, he is going to convict you, so to speak. He's going to impress upon you errors in righteousness in that way. But his dominant role in the believer's life is to lift them. That his role in relationship to the believer is in direct relationship to the believer's identity. He is relating to you not on the basis of sin. He's relating to you on the basis of identity. And while he might point out something that you're doing, his desire in doing so is saying, that is not who you are, Kevin. You're doing that. Yes, that is not who you are. And I could give you proof texts off that all the way. But with the unbeliever, he's saying, you're sinful. You're apart from God. And this is how we get saved, right? Come on. You all know, you all know the story. This is, this is my story. I'm sinful. I don't know God. I'm separated from God. This is what is right to God for me to give my life to him. And if I don't, I'm eternally lost. That's how the Holy Spirit's ministering. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, I don't like that word judgment. Well, who does? Who does? It's, it's what Al Gore would say is an inconvenient truth, right? The most inconvenient truth is sin, righteousness, and judgment. That men who deny Christ are eternally damned. Eternally damned. I heard a guy on the radio, and my wife hates it when I say this, so I'm going to say it anyway because I feel like I can. She's like, you got to say that. I'm going to say it. Everybody say, say it, Kevin. All right. There was a guy on the radio, and he was saying, well, how can a loving God send people to hell? And the pastor responded. He said, well, if you read the text, he's not sending them there. He's throwing them. It's true. They will be, what? Thrown into the lake of fire. Why? Because they trample the Son of God underfoot, treat the blood of the cross as a common saying, and profane the Spirit of grace. I have done everything that I could to reach you, yet you spit upon me. I have lowered myself beneath your feet in order to reach you, yet you spit upon me. Depart from me, you evildoers. Depart from me, you wickers of iniquity. And to those who've received, he said, enter into your joy. Yeah, enter into the joy of the Lord, which has been prepared for you from the foundations of the world. You see the difference? Man is not sovereign over, over salvation. God is sovereign over salvation, period. You don't get to decide how you're saved. God alone holds that righteousness in his hand. These are closed-handed issues of, of sovereignty. God has open-handed issues and closed-handed. And I can assure you, salvation is closed-handed. We don't get to vote. So then you know what that means? It means you say, if you care about your loved ones, invite them to church. I don't know how to reach my loved ones. Well, A, pray for them. B, invite them to church. We give you every opportunity in the world. Hot dog day, snow cone day, this, that, pictures. Whatever we can do, we throw it to try to reach the people that are in your lives that don't know Jesus. God's not expecting you to give them an altar call and four points in a prayer, but at the very least, you can be an Andrew and bring them to Jesus. That is acceptable. You may not be able to be Peter and be on the day of Pentecost and preach to 5,000 people, but you can be an Andrew and go, you need to come with me. I got somebody I want you to meet. Come to church with us. Why? They're giving out movie tickets. You think we give that away because we just want a cool, cool promotion? Because people want movie tickets. We give them free pictures. Why? Because it's by all things, becoming all things to all people, that if by any means we may win some. That's why. That's why. 
And this is where you have to partner with it. You have to partner with it. This is why the church needs to give the people opportunities to bring their friends and reasons to bring their friends. And then we need to bring them into a culture that's life-giving and empowering. Holy Spirit works with you. He, Holy Spirit, comes in you. So the Spirit of God is in all of you right now if you've received Jesus. What is he doing? He's doing two things. He's bearing witness. Spirit bears witness with our spirit, what? That we're children of God. That you're saved. That's why you go, I don't feel saved. Well, I, uh, somehow I am. I, I, I am, but I don't feel saved. Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are the children of God. That's why when I'm able to say you're saved and forgiven and healed by the name of Jesus, or you've got your sins are forgiven and your heirs of eternal life, most of you find yourself nodding your head and you don't even know why. Because the spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that what is being spoken is true. Now the spirit is affirming what is being said. And the Holy Spirit has sealed you. Ephesians says he is the seal. He is the down payment. That little touch of the presence of God in you, when you feel the goosebumps or you just feel the love flooding your soul, flooding your soul that is the foretaste of the eternal world. The Bible says it's a down payment. Some would call it a foretaste. He's giving you a taste of what he's got cooked up for you. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. Love him. So he gives us the Holy Spirit so we can taste of the things that are to come. That's who you're going to be. That's the atmosphere you're going to live in eternally. Holy Spirit, when you're in the presence of the Lord and you're full in that presence and that power and that love and that life and that peace and that joy, that's eternity with God. That's the foretaste. So the Spirit is in you, bearing witness. The Spirit is uh, not just bearing witness. He's sealing you. He's upon you. Jesus said, you shall, everybody say this with me, power. power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon, say upon. That's right. See, there's a different aspect. So here the Spirit of God by this time was in them and was with them, but now the Spirit of God must come upon them. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So now we see in this verse what the purpose of the Spirit upon is to do, to be witnesses, to bear witness of Jesus. So this isn't anything to do with salvation. Spirit comes in you to save you. He comes on you that you might go and tell others. He comes on you that you might go and demonstrate the kingdom. This is where the church is void. We got the first two. Okay, yeah, the Holy Spirit's with me always, even at the end of the age. Yeah, I got that. Yes, yeah, Spirit of God is in me. But do you know he comes on you? Do you understand this one? This is important because this is where the gap comes in. It's the, word, it's the Greek word epi. Upon means epi. It's where we get the word epidermis, which is our outer layer of the skin. So he comes on you. So what it is like, it is the infilling, yieldedness of your life yieldedness of your beliefs enables the spirit to rise in you until he comes over you. You have this, come on, I heard a woo somewhere in the room. <laughs> spirit of God is in you. Spirit of God can come on you. Which one is it? This is a big, another debate. Did we, did we manifest the spirit from within or does the spirit come on? Guess what it is. Everybody say it with me. Both. That's right. We call upon the spirit of God and he comes every time. And if you can't, if you're not in a place, then you just summon him from within you. He's in you. You start releasing him and activating him from within you. He moves from within you. And then sometimes he comes on you. So it's both. It's not either or, it's both. And I would say that when you got him rising and you got him falling, you have the perfect storm, man. And you want him up and you want him coming down. And it's like two worlds meeting. Bam, boom, out we go. Next slide. So my goal here is just to give you an idea of how the spirit works. He empowers for ministry. It's a Greek word, dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite, dynamic, and dynamo. Anybody want to be dynamic? That's just such a cool word. Just a dynamic person. You're dynamic in the spirit. In the spirit, you're amazingly dynamic. You ever seen how cool you are in the spirit? Come on. You can, you can see that. You're a cool person in the spirit. 
You're actually a profound person in the Spirit. You're an insanely loving person in the Spirit. People like you when you're in the Spirit. You like you. <laughs> so it's, in the, it's the word dynamo. Dynamo is a power generator. We get this dynamite, explosive power. Dynamic, yeah. But it's also dynamo, which means generation, generating power. What is the Spirit doing? Empowering destiny, purpose, divine will, and assignments of the Father. He's generating that. So the Spirit of God within us generates that. It's actually the word that's used for... I should get Raul up here to teach this one. He's an electrician, so he probably knows this more than me. But direct current and alternating current. So direct current is the word that word dynamo comes from. It's a generator that creates direct current. It's the energy generator that creates gen direct current. And I was reading about this idea of a dynamo, and it's like uh, it, needs, it needs something that is called a, a, a commuter or commuter or something like that. But what it means is to change by relationship. And so here again we see the Holy Spirit in the Word. Jesus changes, the Holy Spirit changes you by relationship and releases direct current. Interesting. More on that later. He ministers to us how? He comforts you. You're feeling discomforted? You know what you do? I'm going to give you a little exercise. You can all do it. Ready? Say this with me. Holy Spirit, comfort me. Huh? He loves you so much, he comes every time. He's so into you that every time you ask him, he's there. Immediately, he comes. So he comes to minister to you. He comforts you. It's all going to be all right. It's all going to be okay. I don't know. And then you start thinking, wow, I don't know why. Everything, I, but, you know, it doesn't seem like anything. But suddenly, I, something shifted in me. He comforts you. He brings you the peace of his presence. The presence of God, the peace, the serenity of God's presence. I've had people say, man, I don't know, but when I come to church, I feel better. Because it's the comforting presence of the Lord through the Spirit of God. It's the atmosphere that you find yourself in. But that atmosphere lives in you, Christian. You can have it 24-7 anytime you want it. Wisdom and knowledge, he ministers to you. Wisdom, knowledge, love, revelation. We'll get more into this in a couple of coming weeks. So he not only ministers to us, he ministers through us. This is where we're going to go in the coming weeks as well. How? So the idea of the empowerment of the Spirit is to release God's kingdom in the earth. Not just to save you, but the, when he comes on you, it's to release and activate the kingdom through your life. Dynamo, direct current. Power, signs, wonders, prophetic, wisdom, knowledge, counsel. This is how the Spirit ministers through you. You have something for somebody else. I'll, I'll open it up a little bit more. I'm completely out of time. Last slide. Right? So here's some instructions for you. Here's some homework. So every week this week, I want you to wake up and I want you to say this. Good, say it with me. Good morning. Holy Spirit. That's right. Acknowledge his presence. Here's, here's your homework. Practice the presence. Just practice the presence. Enter into the presence. Holy Spirit, just kind of engage him. Ask for whatever, but ask for his presence. Respond to what it is that he's saying. I'll give you an even bigger one. Ask for divine assignments. Oh, he's got divine assignments for you. Most of my divine assignments, I've been trying to ask God for more of these because I stumble on them more than I actually engage them. I have to, I'll tell the story second service, but anyway, because I'm out of time. But We ask him for divine assignments, and all of a sudden, you're going to have a divine assignment. You're going to be asking God, God, use me more, use me more. And you're going to see someone around you that's depressed, and you're going to go, are you telling me to minister to that person? Uh, yeah, that's what he's telling you. Anyway, ask him for divine assignments. Here's some reading for you. John chapters 14, 15, and 16, and Acts chapters 1 and 2. Jesus gives a three-chapter cha three exposition on the Holy Spirit in John's chapters 14, 15, and 16, and then first chapter of Acts and second chapter of Acts, 
talk about when he comes and encounters us. All right? Life in the Spirit is the series. We're going to do more on this as the weeks come, but I wanted to give you guys a primer and give you guys some understanding of the Holy Spirit. So this is how you can interact this week. Right? Who's with me? Yeah, come on. All right. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen.